Welcome to the Bridge Podcast. Man, we're glad you're here tonight. Um, so, I'm going to start off tonight with a question, and I'm going to ask it to you, and you don't answer out loud, um, but I want you to think about it, um, and I, but I want you to think about how you would answer this question if you weren't in church. I know you're in church, but say you weren't in church and you weren't trying to give a spiritual answer. Here's the question. What makes you happy? What makes you happy? Um, again, pretend you're not in church. Pretend it's not a spiritual answer. Because in church, someone says, what makes you happy? And you're like, Jesus, right? Yeah, we're not doing spiritual answers. Um, but if somebody came up on the street and said, somebody you didn't know, and said, hey, what makes you happy? How would you answer that question? I think that for a lot of people, it would it'd be different, but in the same vein, right? I mean, pretty close to one another. Some people would say, well, you know, money makes me happy. Or my hobby, like the thing that I do on the side, like I'm a disc golf bro or whatever. <laughs> Um, and uh, I do that, or um, possessions, or like new toys, like gadget type stuff. Like that's the stuff that makes me happy. And you would list that, and it would be fine, and everyone would go, okay, cool. Now here's the deal. I'm going to make a bold claim at the start of this, and I tend sometimes I tend to do this. I make a kind of bold premise um, to hopefully hook your attention. But here, here's what I think. When that, when you look at that question, here's what I think. I think most people. And by the way, if that's true, most people, that means most of probably you, because most people means most people. So, right, you get what I'm saying? So I think most people actually don't know what makes them happy. I think most people don't. They don't know. They think they know. Like, they'd have an answer if you asked them. And they think it's a good answer, and they think it is the right answer, but most people actually don't know what makes them happy. And you might go, well, that's kind of bold. Like, how do you know that most people don't know what makes them happy? How do you know that I might be most people, and I don't know what makes me happy? Well, here's the deal. If you keep chasing after whatever you answer to that question, right, what makes you happy, and and you say this. If you keep chasing after whatever you think it makes you happy, and you keep not being happy, then clearly you don't know what makes you happy right? Most people would say money, but the more money they make, they're not happy. Or possessions, they're not happy. Or achievements, they get the achievements, they're still not happy. So the answer then really is, I think most people have no idea what makes them happy. They're just trying something, right? I, I, I really believe that the world will tell you this, like you can buy happiness, right? And I, this, this whole series has been this premise that Honestly, the words of Jesus and the words of the Bible tell you the true source of happiness. So the world doesn't know what makes them happy, but here's what I believe. Another bold claim. I think in Christianity, we have the secret of what will make people happy. And you might go, well, that's a, golly, I mean, that's kind of an arrogant statement. Like, you're starting us with, most people don't know, most people aren't happy, and Tim, somehow you, because you've read the Bible, you know what will make all people happy. Like, that's a bold statement. But just keep in mind, I'm not doing anything different than what the world does. I'm doing the exact same thing the world does when I tell you this, except 
there is a little bit of difference. Like the world will tell you when you get on the internet or when you read a magazine or when you uh, listen to the radio or when you go online, whatever it is, the world will tell you, a bunch of voices will start bombarding you, telling you, hey, you're not happy, you're not happy, you're not happy, buy this product, buy this product, buy this product, it'll make you happy, make you happy, make you happy, right? That's what the world says. What I'm saying is this, we got it, we got it. I'm trying to sell you happiness just like the world, except the difference is this, what I'm telling you is totally free. What the world will say is, buy this thing and it will make you happy and it's gonna cost a lot of money. I'm saying, oh no, happiness is totally free, although it's hard work. It's hard work, you gotta change your mind, you have to change your total outlook, but we have it and we have it for free and you can have it. Because everyone is on a search for happiness. Here's the truth. Most people have never been taught, most people have never been taught, or they have forgotten what it is that makes them happy. Several of you in this room have either never been taught what will make you happy, or you've forgotten what it is that makes you happy. There's a quote, this is not my thing, this is a pastor named Andy Stanley. He says this, ready? It'll be on the screen. Happiness is more about who than what. Happiness is more about who than it is about what. Now, here's the deal. You actually did learn this probably as a kid. Without knowing you learned it, you probably actually did learn that that's true as a kid. Do you remember as a kid, maybe eight, nine years old, and if, you, if you're like, I didn't have that experience, I apologize, but do you remember, this is pretty typical, eight or nine years old, do you remember as a kid playing with your best friend in the backyard or the front yard? You know what I'm talking about? Like your best friend is over, and you're playing in the front yard or the backyard, and at the end of the night, you're going, man, I am so happy, I had such a great time. It wasn't about a what, if y'all were like me, there was no what. It was a friend, we went to the backyard, we found a stick, and then we created a game around the stick. It wasn't about like the big production. The reason why I left that going, man, I'm so happy, it wasn't about the what, it wasn't about what we had, it was about who was there. In fact, y'all are such a great example of this. This past Sunday night, if you missed it, sorry, but this past Sunday night we had everyone over at our house. About 25 or 30 of y'all showed up to our house. We ate tacos, hung out. One of the staff members of the church said, what are you going to do for fun? And I said, I don't have any plans. Like they're going to get up and they're, they're going to get there and they're going to create their own fun. Because when you get in one place, happiness is more about who than it is about what. And we had a great time, four hours. Like we're just hanging out, right? Happiness is more about who than what. And in fact, come on, you know this is true. You know this is true because... If happiness was about a what, then we would all go buy our what's and we would always be happy. Do you realize this? Surely y'all have had more than one phone in your life, right? Everyone had more than one phone in their life? Okay. Um, <clears throat> did you realize this, that you, whatever your phone is currently, when you got it and it was brand new, do you realize that you were just as happy and just as excited about your new phone as you were when you got your old phone, you were just as happy and as excited about your new phone as you were about your old phone. What was the problem? The old phone got old. And so you thought, I need a new phone. If you've had more than one car, you'll realize this. You were just as happy and excited about your old car as you were about your new car. It's just your old car got old, and so you started going, I need a new car, I'm not happy. In other words, if an aging what, an aging cell phone deflates your happiness, you were never happy in the first place. If an aging car deflates your happiness, you were never happy in the first place. 
Because happiness is more attached to who than what. Now, not surprisingly, Jesus talks about this. He really does. He starts off the sermon with this very famous intro. It's called the Beatitudes. The Beatitudes literally stands means the blessings. That's all it is. And the reason why we call it the Beatitudes, the blessings, is because eight different times, eight statements in a row, Jesus said, blessed are the, blessed are the, blessed are the, blessed are the. Last two weeks I've talked about this, so this is a refresher. But that word blessed, what we got the word blessed from is a Greek word. It's called makarios. Makarios can be translated to English in two ways. It can be translated first as blessed or second, literally as happy. Happy are the, happy are the, happy are the, happy are the. Over and over and over again, Jesus says, hey, do you want to know this thing that you've been searching for that you think is attached to what? It's not attached to what? It's attached to a who. And by the way, the who's not you. Your happiness is not attached to you. Your happiness is attached to a who, but ultimately that happiness is attached to God and your relationship with God. And if you would merely change your mind, I promise you this, you will have happiness, catch this, even in unbelievably difficult times, this happiness can sustain. This is going to be on the screen, but for Jesus, happiness looks like this. To be truly happy is to be blessed by God. To be truly happy is to be blessed by God. And to be blessed by God is to be truly happy. Happy, the stuff we've always been looking for. When Jesus says over and over and over again, happy are the, happy are the, happy are, makarios, 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 he's not talking about happiness attached to what? He's not talking about that kind of happiness. He's talking about something deeper, something real. In other words, you've been settling for a counterfeit happiness this whole time. And Jesus says, do you want to know where the real thing is? Let me just get you to change your mind. So we're going to look at this. In Matthew chapter 5, we're going to go to the next two on the list. And here's the first one. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Here's what he says. Ready? Blessed, makarios, happy are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Now, you might look at that statement, and you have one of two reactions. Either, number one, I don't even know what that statement means because I don't know what the word meek means. Or number two, if you kind of have an idea of what meek means, you'll look at that statement and go, that statement doesn't make sense at all. Happy are the meek. Because when you think meek, when I think meek, what we think is this, weak. That's what we think. If I was to describe somebody to you, let's say I was talking about some girl, and I go, do you know so-and-so? And you're like, no, I don't know her. Like, describe her to me. And I'm like, you know, she's kind of, you know, Five foot six, I don't know, you know, I don't know why I just went into like cop height description, you know, I don't know. (laughs) Whoever says she's like five foot six, maybe six and a half, I don't know. Anyways, she's got brown hair, blah, blah, blah. And if I just threw it out there, you'd think this was weird, but I said, you know, she's kind of like a meek girl. Here's what you would think. You would think kind of weak, quiet, shy, like maybe a pushover, like kind of scared maybe. Like when we see meek, we kind of think weak, we think shy, scared. So is Jesus saying, hey, happy are the shy, awkward, weird, kind of quiet, pushover, weaklings. Like those are the happy people. Like that doesn't make sense at all. And Jesus would say in response to that question, like, is that what you're talking about? Jesus would say, no. Jesus would say, you simply don't understand what meek is. And consequently, no wonder you haven't found happiness. Because you still think happiness is attached to a what? It's actually attached to a Who? And it's actually found right here in meekness. You'll find happiness in meekness. So what is meekness? 
The best way to define meekness is to go to another part of the Bible. Psalm 37. Now, Jesus, when, you're, when he's talking in this intro, right, blessed are the, blessed are the, when he gets to this one, he says, blessed are the meek, verse 5, he's actually referencing Psalm 37. He's actually pulling it from Psalm 37. If you don't believe me, look at it. Matthew 5, 5, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. That's what Jesus said. And then look at Psalm 37. But the meek shall inherit the land and delight themselves in abundant peace. See, Jesus, what he did here, and anybody in his audience who really knew the Bible knew instantly when he said, blessed are the meek, that he was saying, I agree with Psalm 37. This is true. This is still the game plan. You need to find meekness in your life. That's where you'll find happiness. Blessed are the meek. He's agreeing with Psalm 37. Psalm 37 is a great chapter, and it defines meekness. And we're just going to go through three verses of Psalm 37 and look at what does it mean to be meek? Because, catch this, if happy are the meek, then what is meek? Because I want to be happy. See what I'm saying here? Like, if that's where I'm going to find it, then, then how do I get to meek? Because I want to be happy. So Psalm 37, verse, we're going to start in verse, uh, let's see, verse 5. Here's what it says. Commit your way to the Lord. Commit your way to the Lord. Here's the first thing you know. We're going to fly through this. Ready? First thing you know is this. Meek people commit their way to God. They commit their way. Everything. You go, okay, what does that mean? Here's what it means, literally. The word commit is a Hebrew word that means they roll. So they're rolling with God. They're rolling along with him. They're committing their way. What does it mean to commit your way to the Lord? Here's what it means. It means every single part of your life is committed to God. I've done this before, and I'm not going to do it tonight, but I've laid out before, this is a long time ago, all these little containers, right? And I labeled them, and I put them in front of you, and I said, school, dating, you know, job, this, this, and then God. And the way we typically think about life is I engage with God on Sundays, maybe, Tuesdays, maybe, and maybe every now and then if I'm in like a jam and I throw up a prayer real quick. Like that's, it's just this small compartment of my life, right? God's over here, school's a separate compartment, dating's a separate compartment, they're all different compartments, but God's there. And I totally tried to redefine that and I brought out a huge container that said God and I started throwing all your little containers in. So God holds your dating, God holds your school, God holds your family, God holds your friends, God holds it all. He is the compartment. A committed person, a person who commits their way to the Lord, a meek person is a person who says, you have all my ways. Number one, you have my school ways. You have my school ways. If you're in school, you have my school ways. Number two, you have my dating ways. If you're dating, if not, hang in there. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, you, you have, <laughs> that's jacked up. Uh, my dating ways, my dating ways are committed to God. My friendship ways are committed to God. My weekend ways are committed to God. My nighttime by myself ways are committed to God. Now catch this, ready? My hopes are committed to God. My dreams are committed to God. Ready? My tomorrow is committed to God. In fact, let's, let's back up. My next several hours of this day are committed to God. And here's the big one. My future is committed to God. Why is it so important to commit all of your ways to him? It goes back to meekness. Here's what meek people understand and what you might not yet understand. Ready? 
all those ways that I just listed, dating, friendship, future, hopes, dreams, tomorrow, the rest of tonight, did you realize you are in control of none of those things? Did you know that? You're in control of none. I don't know if you fully, I didn't grasp this when I was in college. It took me a long time. I'm just dumb, I'm thick-headed. It took me a long time to get to the point where I realized I'm, I'm not in control of about 99% of life. I'm not in control of it. The only thing I control is my response to what's happening to me. That's literally it. I control the way I think about things and I control the way I react to things. That's it. I can't control anything in my life. You know this. Your school ways are committed to God. You know what you can't control? School. Watch. Go get a bad professor or a bad advisor and see how much damage they can do to your degree plan. You weren't in control of that, were you? You, 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 you control, like, I'm going to commit my dating and my friendships. Did you know that you can't control the way other people are or how they interact with you? You can try, and you'll be miserable, and you'll be alone. You can't control other people. What about your hopes and dreams? You know you can't control whether or not those are going to come true or if they're going to happen. What about your future? Like, you think you know what you're going to do tomorrow. The book of James says you could walk out there and get hit by a bus. You don't even know if tomorrow is going to come. What are you talking about? Let alone five years from now, we have five-year plans. Like, oh, in five years, I'm going to be da 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 Maybe. You're not in control of it, though. So a meek person says, I'm not in control of any of this. And because of that, I'm going to commit them to God. I'm just going to let them sit in his hands and go the way I think I'm supposed to go and trust. And that's what comes up next. Look at what he says next. Verse five, commit your way to the Lord, trust in him, and he will act. So a meek person, here's the sequence. Number one, commits all of their ways to God, every part of their ways to God. But second, the reason why they do that is because ultimately they trust God. A meek person is a person who trusts God. Now, this is where this gets really hard. Commit your way to the Lord. Okay, God, you, you got my hopes, my dreams, my future, you got it all. Trust in him. Well, what happens if everything falls apart? What happens if something tragic happens and your ways that you thought you were going fall apart? What happens if you have a bad semester? What happens if you have a bad couple of weeks? What happens if you wake up tomorrow and you get a phone call and your life's gonna dramatically change because you were never in control of it in the first place? What happens when life's falling apart? Here's my question, do you trust God? And the easy answer on this is, yes, of course I trust God. Tim, I trust God, yeah, I trust God. No, 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 I don't want the quick answer. What I want is this, say everything in your life is going wrong. Do you, trust, do you still trust God? Be still? Are you confident, even when everything in your life is falling apart and going wrong, are you confident of those last three words? He will act. I'm confident of it. I don't know when, I don't know how, I don't know what it's going to look like, but I am confident that he will act. Do you trust God even when everything in life is going wrong? Do you trust God? If you would say, well, I don't know, man, that's just up to Annie. I don't think maybe I do trust God. In fact, my, my history, I could point back to my story and tell you where things fell apart and I didn't trust God. Then let me just break it to you. You are not meek. You're not meek. Because the meek commit their ways to the Lord and they trust the Lord. But he goes on. Here's what he says next. Verse 7 of 37. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Look at the sequence. Meek people commit all of their ways to the Lord. They trust the Lord. And then when everything's falling apart, 
What do they do? They wait patiently in stillness. They wait patiently for him to move in their life. Why do they wait patiently? Because they trust him. Let me tell you, um, as I was looking at this and researching and thinking about what I wanted to say and looking at meekness in light of Psalm 37, here's what I realized. Let me just level with you. I'm not meek. A better way to say that is I'm not near as meek as I should be. The, the Beatitudes are not like spiritual gifts, in case you didn't know this. Spiritual gifts are, you know, you'll have a gift and I might not have that gift, but that's the point. You have it. You have it, I have mine, you have yours. We get together, we work together, your gifts, my gifts, it's all good. You're not gonna have every spiritual gift, you're just not. The Beatitudes, if you're a disciple of Jesus, if you're following Jesus, you should have every single one of them in your life. So when I'm sitting underneath this lesson figuring out meekness, I'm sitting here going, man, God's grabbing a hold of me going, Tim, you got work around this one right here because happy are the meek. Let me tell you how this works out for me and why I'm so convicted under particularly this verse. I really do believe, if you look at the sequence, commit your ways, trust the Lord, wait patiently. When you look at that sequence, I think I do number one pretty good. I've committed my ways to the Lord. It's a little bit easier for me. I'm older, life's established, have a wife, have a kids. I've committed my family to the Lord. I've committed my career to the Lord. I've committed these things in my life. It's easy for me to stay in the commit your ways to the Lord. But let me tell you, much to my shame, this is me being honest and vulnerable with you, let me tell you what happens the moment anything bad happens in my life. And I wish I could just say big bad things, but sometimes it's really little bad things. The moment anything bad starts happening, you know what I do? Trust of God flies out the window. And I start saying things in my head like this. Maybe God doesn't love me. Maybe God's not with me. Did I sin? Did I do something wrong? Why is he punishing me? Why does he have it out for me? This is the voice that is rambling around my head. It is me distrusting God. Now, the moment that happens, something bad, trust flies out the window. The moment I start distrusting God, what do I do? What I do is this. I start trying to solve the issue myself. Oh, he's not going to do something, so i got to do something. And I start trying to solve the issue myself, except what happens when I try to solve the issue myself is the situation always, 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 underline always, always gets worse. I'm not waiting patiently. God's got this. My way was committed to him. I trust him. Let me just wait patient. I'm just wait patient. He's going to move. This is meekness. Jesus would say, hey, happy are the meek people. Meek people have committed their ways to me. They trust me and they wait patiently on me to move in their life. Those are the truly happy people. That's where happiness is found because happiness is not tied to a what, but to a who. So he says this in the rest of verse seven, be still before the Lord, wait patiently for him. And then ready, fret not yourself over the one who prospers in his way, over the man who carries out evil devices. He says, a meek person commits his way. He trusts God. Listen, he waits patiently, and then he doesn't worry. Why would he? He trusts God. Nothing to worry about. It's going to be okay. And then the next part is even harder. This is one of the hardest parts of following God. If you want my honest opinion, one of the hardest parts about following God, I'm not the only person to think this. David wrote about this extensively in the Psalms. One of the hardest parts about following God is this. You can do everything you can to try to honor and please God. You can live as great a life and sold out of followers as you can, and you're doing everything you can, and then you look across the room, 
And you see a person who's doing everything the opposite of you and going the exact opposite way. And yet somehow you, who's doing everything right and following the Lord, and them, who's going the opposite direction, they're prospering, life is going great for them, and your life is stuck in neutral or going backwards. And in that moment, you're going to go, God, what the heck? Like, this person's not even following you. They're not trying. And they keep getting blessing after blessing after blessing. And I'm over here doing everything I can. And I'm not getting a single thing out of it. And you're going to begin to distrust God. See, here's the meek people. Look, they commit their way. They trust the Lord. They wait patiently. They don't worry. And they don't compare. You know what? God's working in my life. He's working in these other people's lives. He's got me. He's got them. I'm just going to trust what else would I do? He's got this. And then the next part, and it's the last verse we're going to read here. It says this, refrain from anger, forsake wrath, let it go. Let it go. Let the anger go. Fret not yourself, and in case you didn't pick it up the first time, don't worry. It tends only to evil. Here's a sequence. Commit their way. Trust the Lord. Wait patiently. They don't worry They're not uh, upset. They're not playing the comparison game. And then right here, the last one is this. There's no anger. Why would there be anger? God's going to vindicate me. God's got me. It's okay. I trust God. That's the picture of meekness. If you think meek, weak needs... (laughs) It's hard to say. If you think meek means weak, you are so wrong because meekness is this. It is a strong and steady hand in the midst of tragedy. I don't lose my head. I don't lose my cool. I know it's going to be okay. That's meekness. This is what Jesus would say. Happy are the people who commit their ways to me and trust me. Happy are the people who wait patiently for me to move in their life. Happy are the people who don't explode or worry when life gets hard because they believe in me, they believe in my goodness, and they believe in my faithfulness. Those are the happy people. Those are the joyful people. Those are the people who one day will, as he says in Matthew 5, 5, put it back on the screen, those are the people who will one day inherit the earth. That is a picture. Meekness is a picture of Jesus. Jesus himself says this, hey, come learn from me. Come learn from me. Here's why. I'm meek and I'm lowly in spirit. Jesus says, I am meek. Put that last slide up for me again, Alex. Meekness is a picture of Jesus because who was totally 100% committed in all their ways to the Father? Jesus. Who 100% trusted the Father's plan? Jesus Who are the people that waited patiently? In fact, know this. Jesus is right now seated at the right hand of the Father, still waiting patiently because his ultimate vindication has not yet come. There's a whole lot of people on this earth that say that guy was a lunatic or he didn't exist at all. But God says this. One day he's coming back. And Paul said in his letter, man, when we see Jesus, every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Jesus Christ is still trusting the Father's plan right now that one day my name and my gospel will be vindicated. That is meekness. I trust you. Do you remember Jesus in the garden before the cross? He says, I don't want to go to the cross except not my will, but yours be done. I will commit my way all the way up to the foot of the cross and then I'll lay down on it. That's meekness. That is strength, steady, under control, trusting the Father. He says this, listen, go back to blessed are the meek, verse five, blessed are the meek for they shall inherit the earth. Did you know that when that day comes and Jesus comes back, he will reign over the earth and those of us who are found in him will reign over 
with him, literally. You will inherit the earth. Now, if you look at that and you go, okay, so happy are the meek. Man, I'm not meek. Whatever that list I just laid out, you go, ooh, I'm not that, right? So you go, okay, I got work to do. I got to be meek. Here's the question. How do I become meek? How do I become meek? How do I make myself become meek, right? How do I do it? What's the plan? Tim, give us some action steps. How do I become meek? It happens in the next verse, and we're not going to be here long, but look at verse 6. Blessed, makarios, happy, are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. Here's what God says. Jesus says, he says this, ultimately. You want to change? No, seriously. Do you want to change? Are you tired of, of, of saying you're a believer, but living like everything you're, like, you're not supposed to do? Do you want to change? Do you want to look more like me? Do you want to be meek? Do you want to find real happiness and strength and joy in your life? Do you want to display the the fruit of the Spirit? Do you want to change? Here's what he says. Happy are the people who hunger and thirst for that. They hunger and thirst for it. We don't get that fully because most of us have never been hungry. And there's never been a day in your life when you couldn't go to a sink and open it up and have water to drink. But his first hearers are going, oh, I know what the desperation of hunger is. And I know what the desperation of thirst is. When I'm hungry and when I'm thirsty, I'll do anything to get fed or to get a cup of water. Anything. Nothing will stand in my way. He goes, there you go. That's where you'll find it. Now, there's a story. It's really not that good of a story, but it kind of illustrates the point. Um, It's actually kind of a stupid story. It's something a motivational speaker would use, or like if you ever join a multi-level marketing, somebody at some point is going to tell you this story, and you're going to go, shut up. Like, that's stupid. Here's how the story goes. A young man goes to a guru, and he says to the guru, I want to be successful like you. And the guru goes, great. I'll tell you what. You want to be successful? Meet me on the beach tomorrow morning at 4 a.m. The guy goes, great. I'll be there. The next morning rolls around. It's 4 a.m. He shows up on the beach. The guru's there. The guru says, come on, let's go out into the water. The man's thinking, I didn't want to get in the water. I want to learn how to be successful. The guru goes, come on, I'll show you. They walk out. At first, the water's to their knees, and a little while it gets to their waist, finally their chest, and ultimately their neck. They're standing out in deep water, and the guru looks at him and he says, are you sure you want to be successful? And the man says, yes, I want to be successful. And the guru takes both of his hands, grabs the man's head, and shoves it underwater and holds it there. The man was not prepared for this, so he didn't take a breath. He doesn't even know what's going on. He just knows he's underwater, and he starts freaking out. He's thrashing around. He wants air. He hadn't taken a breath. He wants air, and he's kicking, and he's punching, and he's trying anything he can to get loose of the guru, but the guru holds him, and he's holding, and over time, his lungs start burning. He's looking for air. He can't find it. What is he going to do? The, the thrashing begins to slow down. He's beginning to get to the point where he's starting to drown. He's about to pass out, and right as he's about to pass out, the guru lifts his head above the water. The man comes up and immediately, (gasps) and the guru looks at him and says this, when you want to be successful like you want to breathe, you'll find it. When you want to be successful like you want to breathe, you'll find it. That sounds great. Like, ooh, very inspirational. Like, multi-level marketing. Like, we're going to go out and make a million dollars, right? All right, it's stupid. Here's why it's stupid. Success does have something to do with desire. It also has as much to do with luck. 
and success has a lot to do with hard work, it also has a lot to do with luck. I know a lot of people that have had a lot of desire and have worked really, really, really hard, but they just never got the break. So the, to put your success on your desire is not totally fair, but it, it does illustrate this point, right? This point that Jesus is making is this. Do you want this? Do you want to be meek? Do you want to look more like me? Yeah, Jesus, I do. Great. No, but what I'm asking is, are you desperate? Are you desperate? The desperation of a starving man, do you have that kind of desperation to be more like me? Because that's where you're going to find it. Occasionally in ministry, and I've been doing this a while now, but occasionally in ministry you get a, you get a student who will come up to you, or you know, adult for that matter, and they will say this to you. you know, Tim, I, I want to grow spiritually. I want to grow spiritually. What should I do? I want to grow spiritually. What should I do? Now, when I was young, I gave lots of really dumb advice, which makes me worried that in 10 years I'll go, man, I gave really dumb advice then too. But anyways, when I was young, I gave really dumb advice. And if somebody came up to me and said, hey, I want to grow spiritually, what should I do? When I was young, I was like, oh, that's great. Let me give you a whole list of things you should do. Here's what you should do. Read the Bible X amount of minutes a day. Pray X amount of minutes a day. Come to home group, come to life group, come to the bridge. Find accountability part. I'll give you a whole list of things you should do because you want to grow spiritually. What should I do? That's not very good advice. If you were to come to me now and say, Tim, I want to grow spiritually, what should I do? The first thing I'd point out is your question is flawed. It's flawed. What are you talking about? What should you do? Okay. I'll try to answer it, but, but here's how I'd answer it. If you came to me, I, I want to grow spiritually. What should I do? I would immediately look back at you and say this. Do you really want it? Yeah, I really want it. Are you sure you really want it? Yeah, I'm sure I really want it. Okay, here's what I want you to do. First thing, I want you to go home tonight, and I want you to get on your knees and an act of submission, and I want you to pray to God. But here's what I want you to say in your prayer. First and foremost, before you get anything else out, I want you to say this. God, I want to grow spiritually, but I do not want it enough. Forgive me that I don't want it enough. Give me the gift of desperation. Do you realize that desperation is a gift? It is a gift to be desperate. That I am so hungry for this and thirsty for this. Listen, that doesn't come from you. You can't get that inside of you without God saying, oh, let me give you the gift of desperation. Because if you're if you have that gift, that desperation, man, I'm so hungry and thirsty to change. Here's what it's going to drive you to do. It's going to drive you to try everything, everything you can think of to change. And what's going to end up happening is you're going to realize that none of those things work. And it's going to leave you with one last option. If you're desperate to change, it's going to leave you with one last option. And that is this. God has to do it. God has to do this in me. And so you'll turn to him, and he says, happy are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Filled by who? By their own willpower? No, filled by God. He says, when you have that gift of desperation, you'll try everything, and you'll be left with one thing, and that one thing is the source. I said in the last week, Blessed, happy are the poor in spirit. The poor in spirit always realize this. I cannot meet my own needs, including my own spiritual needs. 
So first and foremost, if you find yourself stale and stagnant, I dare you. If you find yourself stale and stagnant in your, in your walk with God, if you find yourself lacking in meekness, here, I dare you to start praying this prayer to God. God, give me new desires. Give me a desire to know you. Give me a desire for your word. Give me a desire to spend time in prayer with you. Give me a desire to see you in my life. Just change my heart. That is what David prayed. Create in me a clean heart, oh God. My heart doesn't desire the proper things. Give me new desires. God does that work in you. You don't do that work in yourself. You'll never make yourself be meek. You can act, but it won't work. He sees straight through that. But when you get hungry and you get desperate, he lets it loose. There's a story, and this is how I'm going to end. There's a story in the New Testament. It's a pretty famous story. It happens in John chapter 4, where a woman um, is going to go get a drink, going to go get some water for her household. This woman has made a lot of poor choices in her life, a lot of poor sexual choices. And she's going to the well. She goes to the well in the middle of the day, which signals that she's been shunned by society because she's made a lot of poor sexual choices. The whole town knows what she's done. They've shunned her. She doesn't want to see anybody. She goes to the well at noon when no women would be there. She goes there. And this one day, she comes up to the well, and this strange-looking man is sitting beside the well. And so the man, she's like, well, I'll just ignore him. You know, I was hoping not to see anybody. She goes up to the well, and this strange man just says to her, excuse me, ma'am, can you get me a drink? And she essentially looks at this man and basically says this, listen, you don't know who I am. I got a story. I got a past. I got a history. You shouldn't be talking to me in public because people are going to make some assumptions about you. This whole town knows who I am. You don't know who I am. And this is what Jesus replies to her in John chapter 4, verse 10. Jesus answered her, if you knew, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him. And he would have given you living water. Here's what he says. He goes, oh, no, no, no. Listen, if you knew. See, you think I don't know you, woman? Oh, I know you. I know what you've done. I know your story. I know where you've been. I know you've had a lot of husbands, and the man you're currently living with is not your husband. I know all that, because I'm Jesus, right? I know it. But you don't know me. And if you knew who you were talking to, the creator of it all, the universe, if you knew that you were sitting, talking to God incarnate, what you would do is you would ask me for a drink and I would give you living water. And then he goes on, verse 13, he says this, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. And this is exactly what I believe Jesus would say if we were to go back in time right now at the beginning of the message and I say, what makes you happy? And something pops into your mind. Here's what Jesus would say about your answer. If it's anything other than him or his presence in your life, if it's money, possessions, blah, blah, blah. He would say, anyone that drinks of this water is going to be thirsty again. He said to the woman, you drink this physical water, you're going to get thirsty. You'll be thirsty by the time you got home. And he would say to you, you want to chase after these things that you think make you happy? That's fine. But you're going to be thirsty again. It doesn't work because it's not tied to a what. It's tied to a who. He says, look, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. In other words, what I do in your life is so utterly satisfying, you won't need anything else. I promise it's there. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. In other words, I will fill you so fully that you will begin to splash on people around you. That's what I'll do. That's what I'll do. And the woman's response was a great response. Verse 14, the woman said to him, sir, sir, give me this water 
so that I will not be thirsty. She didn't fully understand exactly who he was or what he was talking about. They had a long conversation after that. She was still thinking something physical and he was talking about something spiritual. But here's the point. Jesus looked into her life. He looked into all the things that she had chased after thinking it would bring happiness. And he said, you've been chasing after the wrong wells. I got the real thing. And if you're thirsty enough for it, I promise if you ask me, I'll give it to you. Oh man, Tim, I'm not really meek. I haven't committed my ways. I don't trust the Lord. I certainly can't wait patiently. I'm really explosive in my temper. I'm really angry. I worry all the time. This is just who I am. Listen, bull. Bull, it's who you are. God can change you, but it has to come to a point where you go, I'm so desperate for change that I will run after you with everything I got. And then he goes, watch what happens. Living water will pour. You won't thirst anymore. That's the source of happiness. Let me pray. Bye.